0: Um, we, we've been in a study called free, This Way to Freedom, where we're looking at the story of Exodus. Um, last week, we, we left. Moses was on his way to Egypt, to, uh, sent by God to free the Hebrews. And the last couple of weeks, we were looking at some of the tools that God used to prepare Moses for the mission that he was sending them on. And this, this week, we're going to pick up the story at the end of chapter 4, Um and we're gonna we're gonna cover a lot of a lot of chapters today. Uh, you may be thinking, Yeah, right. Um, I've been here. I know how this works. Uh, <laughs> but, but we are, I promise, um, uh, because we're we're gonna kind of take this part as, as as a big big story, not not just go verse by verse. Um, as we pick the story up in chapter four, Moses and Aaron are. are they're, they're getting into, into Egypt and they go before the Hebrews and they show them the miracles that we discussed last week that God gave to Moses as a way to, to validate that God had sent him. Um, so he goes before the, the, the leaders of, of the Hebrews. They accept him. They rejoice that God has heard their cries and, and kind of give them their, their, their vote of confidence. And then Moses and Aaron then go uh, and have their first confrontation with Pharaoh. Um, and we, we see that in, in chapter five. And uh, if you know the story, it doesn't go well. That's the the short uh, way of putting it, and we see in uh, five verse one uh, it says after this this uh, presentation to the to Israel's leaders Moses and Aaron went and spoke to Pharaoh. They told him, "This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says: Let my people go." Some of you, uh, may, every time you hear that when we're reading this, you, you may picture a you know a Technicolor movie with. Was a Charlton Heston, you know, the the big, big, deep voice booming. Let my people go. Um, This is what the Lord says. Let my people go that they may hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness. Verse two. Is that so? Retorted Pharaoh. And who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. And Even worse than this, Pharaoh's response wasn't just no. Um, it, it, it irked him that they even asked, and so he decided that that Egypt would not only would Israel continue to provide and work in, in, uh, in slave camps and, and and create bricks for their construction projects, but Egypt was going to no longer provide the straw to make the bricks. But he wasn't going to lower the quota for the day. And this 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 is a big deal. How many know if you're if you're you're building something and you know they're slaves it's not like they were slacking off you didn't have a choice you're working as hard as you can then all of a sudden half of the half of the material that you need to do what you need to do all of a sudden now you're responsible to figure out how to gather that it's it's, it's impossible it was an impossible task that was being thrown in front of the Hebrews and this throws them as well as Moses into turmoil because it feels like things are getting worse for them Right. They were super excited. Just a day ago, God showed up and there's miracles happening and, and, and it's it's really good. Um, and then this happens and it, and it feels like, a, a, you know, before they even get started in this, there, there's this giant setback. Um, and the Lord tries to, to reassure them that he, he's going to free them. He tells them, you know, I've got you. Don't worry about it. And he reminds them of what his plan is, that he's going to set them free and all these things. But, but we notice, if you keep reading, um, that the people and Moses are still very discouraged. In verse uh, 6, verse 9, it says, So Moses told the people of Israel what the Lord had said, this, that he had reminded them of, of his promise, but they refused to listen anymore they'd become too discouraged by the brutality of their slave slavery and then if we you skip down to to verse 12 it shows us that that moses too is kind of in this same place it says uh, this is moses talking he says but lord moses objected my own people won't listen to me anymore how can i expect pharaoh to listen i'm such a clumsy speaker so we, we have this thing coming back up. If you remember, I've talked about this for, for a couple of weeks, that this insecurity of, of Moses is really really still still he's still struggling with it. So we have, we have these, these people that are, were told to do something. They're trying to, trying to walk in obedience, but things don't seem to be turning out the way God said they were. And so they're experiencing um, discouragement and, and frustration and fear and, and doubt. Um, but look what what verse in chapter if we go down a little further in chapter 7 verse 6 it says uh, the end of the matter even though they have all these things that they're they're, they're dealing with none of that's been resolved but in verse 6 it says so Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them and I think there's an important takeaway here before we get into the bulk of the story, and that is, that is simply this. God demands our obedience, not our optimism. It, it, and that, that's an important thing for us to understand, that as we follow Jesus into, into freedom, into the things that he's calling us into, um, there will be times when we're unsure When when, when we we struggle with doubts and frustrations, when when things aren't, we can't see how the thing that God said is going to happen is happening. It doesn't look like those two things are connecting. Um, And this story is a great reminder to us that, that you don't have to take care of the one before you do the other. All right, in our lives, you don't have to have every, every discouraging thought removed. You don't have to dispel every question. You don't have to remove every worry in order for you to move forward and in obedience to God's plan for your life. In fact, most, most of the time, much of the time, it works the other way around. It's kind of this cycle thing. As we obey, then we learn, then we realize, you know, there are things, I'm sure you've experienced this in your own life. There are times, there are things now that don't stress me out when they come up that 10 years ago were like the crisis of all crisis in my life, right? But I have, I have learned and I walked in obedience then enough to, to learn and for God to build the trust within me that he's going to take care of those things. And so now those same things, when they, when they happen, when, when they come up, I, I have no problem trusting him with those things. I have a whole nother list of things that I freak out about. Um, <laughs> but they're different. They're bigger. They're, they're, we've moved on from those, those small things. Moses clearly was struggling with confidence, but he moved forward in obedience anyway. And, and, and God does something amazing because of it. And, and what we see unfold over the next five chapters is, is one of the most miraculous, most significant moments, not only in, in Hebrew um, Israel, is, Israel's history, but in, in history in general. Um, But rather than uh, read through and comment on all five chapters, uh, no one would sit here that long, Uh, I want to do a flyby of this part of the story, okay? I want to... Briefly land on some passages that I think hold some some takeaways for us, um, and, and then we'll spend the re- remaining of our time looking at what I think is the primary message of of this part of the story. I, sometimes it's super valuable to go verse by verse and dig in, um, but there's also a value in kind of look taking a step back and looking at a story as a whole. and And this particular story, I think, I think if you don't take the step back, if you don't don't take it as a whole if you don't see the overarching message excuse me um, you you can miss the message the essential message of the story itself so we don't want to get stuck in the weeds um, and so that's that's kind of the approach we're going to take today um, before we, we we jump in let's let's just in, invite the Lord God we, we thank you for for your presence this morning god we thank you for the opportunity to be to be reminded and and reconnected with you um, in worship and prayer. Lord, as we, as we turn to your word, may it be a, a light to us. May it encourage us. Would you speak to us? Would you convict us this morning of things we need convicted of? Would you, would you strengthen us in areas that we are weak? God, would you speak through your word to our hearts this morning? Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to jump back into the story. Um, so Moses and Aaron, they, they, they've gone to Pharaoh. It didn't go well. He, he issues this extra workload. And so then uh, Moses and Aaron, eventually they go back to Pharaoh and we have, we have the, the, the plague encounter, right? Where, where it's this constant back and forth between Moses and, and Pharaoh where, where Moses goes before, and Aaron go before Pharaoh and they tell him, God said, let my people go and if you don't, Something's going to happen. Something bad's going to happen. And then Pharaoh says, no. And then the bad thing happens. Right. <laughs> and, and this goes on and on. It, it starts out with with uh, the, the Nile turning to blood, um, which is both gross and devastating so it's not just it's not just this miraculous thing it's also very the Nile was the source of uh, of of their existence this was their primary water source it's where they it's where they clean things it's where they 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 got a lot of their water it's it it was an essential part of of their their existence and so the blood the Nile turning the blood was was a big deal for for just their 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 health their their well-being um That didn't work, Pharaoh Pharaoh, uh, didn't turn his his heart back or or convince him, so so then Moses goes back and and this time it's it's a plague of frogs that that he brings with them. And these frogs come up out of the Nile and they just infest everywhere, um, which is gross. I actually have, um, I don't know, there may be some other people in the room who remember this. Years ago, we had a church camp at Camp McPherson which is up in up in Mount Vernon area and there was one year we had we had this church camp there was some flooding the, the kind of the week before we got there and the the, the entire week the camp was infested with frogs I mean, you, you, there was these big fields and you'd like take a step in the field and literally dozens, if not hundreds of flo- frogs would just hop all over the place. They were in the bunks. They were, I mean, they were everywhere. It was disgusting. Does anybody remember that besides me? A couple people. It was gross. And some of the, some of the less mature kids uh, may have played a few rounds of frog baseball, um, but... But we won't we won't call call them out here today. It was me. Um. <laughs> So you have these frogs and, 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 and they're gross and they're, they're all over the place. But still, Pharaoh doesn't relent. And so then, then the Lord sends gnats. And I want to land on this plague for just a minute because there's a shift. Uh, there's kind of a progression as these plagues go along. And certain things are, are, are significant in the, the, the way they, they kind of change what's going on. Um, so in, in chapter 8, verse 15, it says, So Moses and Aaron did just as, as the Lord commanded. When Aaron raised his hand and struck the ground with his staff, gnats infested the entire land, covering the Egyptians and their animals and all the dust in the land of Egypt turned into gnats. Gross. And, and Pharaoh's magicians, here's the here's the, 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 the change, here's the, the, the significant part of this. The Pharaoh's magicians tried to do the same thing with their secret arts, but this time they failed. And the gnats covered everyone uh, every people and animals alike. Why is that significant? Because what that tells us, and if you actually read the other, the rest of the earlier accounts, you'll see, you would see, this is the first time that they failed because the magicians were able to replicate the first two plagues. Why is that significant? Because it's important. I think it's an important moment to pause and um, remind ourselves or, or or, be convinced for maybe the first time that there is such a thing as evil spirits in this world. There is such a thing as uh, it, it's got lots of different names, magic, whatever. Uh, and, and as followers of Jesus, we should have nothing to do with them. It doesn't say in this account that, that these weren't some parlor trick that these magicians were were doing they were they were replicating these miracles through spiritual means, and as followers of Jesus, we need to be aware that that is that is a real thing. We live especially in the West in a very science heavy you know uh uh, kind of evidence is everything driven mentality where where if 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 we can't if you can't prove it it's not really there and it's it's we've even got to the point and even in the church some places where we've reduced evil to just this this thought this general you know evil is just the 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 bad things we do and the devil and 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 demons are all just kind of a uh, an analogy of 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 our, our 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 worst selves kind of thing and I'm here to tell you this morning that that is not true that there is there is a spirit world and there we have a God, a good God that has angels that serve him, and there is a part of the spirit world that is has rejected that and is evil and is seeking to exert its influence and its power and, and mess everything up for every one of us. And I was as I was trying to figure out how to not spend you know, spin off into a whole other series on, on this today. Um, what, what would be a good definition? What are we talking about here uh, as far as what, what are these, the spiritual realm? What, what would be modern day um, versions of these magicians? And I would say, in general, maybe a good general definition would be any attempt to connect to the spiritual or gain spiritual power through any source other than God the Father. God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. If that is not what we're, if in, in our activity, our belief, our actions, if, if what we're doing is not first focused on, on seeking those sources, we are seeking a source outside of them, we have stumbled into dangerous territory. This we see this in our culture uh, a, a lot. There's a lot of this going on, and sometimes we, we some of it we we look at and maybe kind of chuckle and laugh and think it's silly. Some of it may, for some of us, may scare us. Um, and and uh, you know, anything from uh, we see the rise of in in, in uh, New Age, and we 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 see these, these a lot of talismans, you know, crystals and. Um, Special, you know, sage burning and all these things that, that, that we, people try and they're attaching, they're attempting to manipulate the spirit world with objects. We see this with, with rituals of, you know, Ouija boards and tarot cards, all, all these sorts of things. Um, even drugs. Drugs are, you know, we, we do use them for medicine, but they are also, um, it is very common that we and people talk about this. Uh, most famous example I can think of right now is, uh, <laughs> and I can say this because he makes no no uh, no secret about it. Aaron Rodgers, if you know Aaron Rodgers, one of the you know one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Every every off for the last several years, he goes on a, he calls a dark retreat, and he goes into a hut somewhere, and he takes hallucinogens because he believes that it, it helps open his mind to, to see things more clearly. This is, and he, he's not, this is not new, he's just kind of the most famous person I could think of, um, that there is a belief that, that, you know, that drugs can be used as a, as a gateway to open our experience, to open our minds to, to a, another spiritual level. And, and I'm here to tell you that that is absolutely true. See the, the the danger in it isn't that it's fi- not that that's not true. The danger is that it is true. Um, we see this on other examples would be uh, you know certain Eastern practices, yoga, not the exercise yoga where you're you know just stretching. But 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 the, the, the meditative where you combine the physical but the point of it is is a spiritual meditative state where you're you're you know opening your chakras and all that stuff. that, that that's a pursuit of a spirituality outside of a pursuit of the true God. We see a lot, even, even this idea of, and it's to some degree borderline at times, it's even kind of, this one's kind of creeping into to church and some, some, some theological stuff in, in, in not good ways, is this, this idea of manifesting. And if you've heard this, this term talked a lot about in self-help books and, and stuff nowadays that, that you can manifest your own destiny. You can, you can if, you, if you think the right thoughts and, and, and really put it out there into the universe, that you can manifest some, some part of your life. This is a dangerous thing and Christians should have no part of it. You can't manifest your destiny. Your your role as a follower of Jesus is to submit to him and his destiny for your life. We see this in Paul and this is not new. This has been happening since since Old Testament times we see it and Paul has to deal with it in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, Paul writes, what am I trying to say? Am I saying that food offered to idols has some significance or that idols are real gods? No, I'm not at all. I am saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons, not God. And I don't want you to participate with demons. There is a a whole spiritual world out there. And and as followers of Jesus, we need to make sure that that we are solely sourcing our, our connection to the spirit world through the approved path of Jesus Christ. And that is the only I am the way, the truth, the life. He made it very, very clear and very simple for us, right? If we focus on that, we'll be fine. You don't have to become an expert in all these other things to, to, to stay away from. You know, it's that old, you know, that old counterfeit, uh, that counterfeit thought. Or, you know, if you want to know what a, how to spot a counterfeit dollar bill, you don't, you don't study counterfeit dollar bills. You study the real thing so that you notice when anything that isn't that comes across your plate. It's important that we understand that. That's the gnats. <laughs> but that didn't work, right? The gnats didn't work. Pharaoh Pharaoh says, says no. When at this point, and we're not going to go into each one, what the exact reaction is, but also part of these, by this time, Pharaoh's starting to, to get waffly. So he'll say, yes, you can go. And then as soon as the plague would go away, then, then he says, oh, never mind. I'm keeping you right here. Um, it's kind of going, just starts waffling back and forth. Um, so we move on to the next one, and that is the flies. Next to this 8.20 says, then, then the Lord uh, told Moses, get up early in the morning and stand in Pharaoh's, in Pharaoh's way as he goes down to the river. Say to him, This is what the Lord says, let my people go, so you can so you can worship me. If if you refuse, I will send swarms of flies on you, your officials, your people, and all the house and the Egyptian homes will be filled with flies, and the ground will be covered with them. But here's the kind of the crucial point of this one. But this, this time I will spare the region of Goshen where my people live. No flies will be found there, and then you will know that I am the Lord and I am present even in the heart of your land. The plagues up till this point had affected everybody. And that's the, the, the significant kind of change in the story in this one is that that up until this point all of this stuff had affected everybody and and the i think the lesson for us to uh, take from this is that when the lord leans us into freedom things may get uncomfortable or even painful first this was not just all happening to the egyptians up, up until this point and we need to accept the fact that we, we, when we pursue freedom, when God starts doing stuff in our life, when he starts confronting the evil in us to set us free, um, there's going to be uncomfortable moments. There's going to be pain. There's going to be collateral damage that we, that we have to deal with. But the story also shows that God sets limits. That God sets limits. He, 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 he let them experience for whatever reason in his sovereign discernment. He decided the first, that first set that they were all going to experience together. But here's where he draws the line and says, no, this, this, this ye shall not pass. The rest of this stuff is just going to be about you Egyptians, and I'm going to protect my people from this part of it. God sets limits. We can, we can trust in that fact that, that yes, things may get may get painful, they may get awkward, they get uncertain, but God has a has a limit of of, of what He knows that, that you can handle and that He He is going to make sure that that you stay protected from true damage, permanent damage. So that's the flies. And then then we have the, the, the death of the death of lime. We're going to f- kind of fly through the rest of these and kind of look at the rest of these as kind of a bigger chunk. Um, but th- the next uh, plague was the death of livestock. And can you imagine just the stench and the, the economic loss and the, the, the food crisis that this created? Um, then he sends boils and you know, itchy. Painful boils on everybody finally there next they're, and seventh was hail since hail that destroys crops and houses remember this is this is not modern construction hail hail would have decimated much of what they had. It would have taken out roofs, taken out people it would have taken out crops, and then what that didn't that didn't take out. Then you have a swarm of locusts and locusts. If you know, you know, if you're familiar, they, they eat a ton and they just come in and they just, they just wipe out the, the food supply. And then after that, there's, there's a darkness that, that covers the area. And then finally there is the death of the firstborn. We can read that part of it in, in, uh, Chapter 12, verse 29, says, And and that night at midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn sons in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn son of the prisoner in the dungeon, even the firstborn of their livestock was killed. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the people of Egypt woke up during the night with loud wailing was heard throughout the land of Egypt. There was not a single house where someone had not died. Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron during the night and said, Get out. <laughs> he ordered, Leave my people, take the rest of the Israelites with you. Go and worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks, take your herds, as soon as as, as you said, and be gone. But bless me as you leave. All the Egyptians urged the people of Israel to get out of, of the land as quickly as possible, for they thought, We're all gonna die. Israelites took their their bread dough before the yeast was added they wrapped their their kneading boards and their cloaks and carried them on their shoulders and the people of Israel did as Moses had instructed they asked the Egyptians for clothing and articles of silver and gold and the Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites and gave them whatever they asked for they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth And that night the people of Israel left Ramses and started for Sokoth where uh, there were about 600,000 men plus women and children. So we finally, this final blow finally does what God said it's going to do and it sets people free. And it happens just just the way he says it. Not only are they free, but they are told to go. And not only are they told to go, they're going with, with the wealth of Egypt. And we see in this that God accomplishes two of his kind of three primary goals here. First is he frees the Hebrews with wealth, right? These were slaves. They didn't have much and they're going to, he's sending them to start a new nation. So they needed a stockpile to do that with. So he, he frees them. He, he, he gives them the wealth of Egypt, and then simultaneously these uh these plagues had a, a practical application in, in in that it crippled the Egyptian power base. Because by the time all these plagues are done, their economy is in ruins, their food supply is all jacked up, their, their workload, their, their, just their, their population has been, uh, severely crippled. Every part of the power that was Egypt is now in a mess which was, which we, I think we talked about this a week or two ago, um, which was super important moving forward because up until this point, the, the place that God was sending them to was still under Egyptian authority in, in, in a lot of ways. And so not only does God free them and give them the wealth to set up, he cripples Egypt in a way that stops them from being able to come back and exert power on them while they develop as a nation. God knows what He's doing with His plans. So that's that's what happened, right? That's the, the who, the what, who, and the what of, of this story. But but in our time remaining, I want us to look at what's really going on. There's a there's a more primary and more general, more a bigger picture that's really happening um, that God is doing here. You know, why was it that that? God chose to uh, free the Hebrews in this manner. He's God. He could have done it in any number of ways. And how does any of that apply to to us today? Well, that's what we're going to kind of look at and try and answer in our last minutes here. Um, and, and it's easy to look at this story as as a story about a bad guy, this bad ruler who wouldn't do what God told him. So God keeps making his life miserable until he does what God tells him to do, right? You know, God, he just, fair. he got this evil Pharaoh and he's doing mean things and God wants him to let those people go and he doesn't want to. So God's just, just you know, putting the screws to him until finally he cries uncle. Um and that kind of fits with this Old Testament imagery of, of kind of our, our the God personality in the Old Testament, right? That he's kind of kind of he's big and he's strong and he's mighty and maybe a little bit of a bully. We kind of see that. Uh, or we 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 kind of get those stories out of out of the Old Testament. Um but the truth is that. In the, the, there's a whole lot of context here that completely shifts what's, what, what would have been seen or the message of the story that the people that actually lived it would have received. There's a whole lot else going on. And, and one way to understand that is to simply say that um, God is in the plagues. What we see is a very thorough answer to Pharaoh's initial question. All right. If you remember back in, in Exodus chapter five, when when Moses first goes to Israel or first goes to Pharaoh, well, um, we'll just read it again. After he pre- uh, he pre- presents to the israel's leaders moses and aaron went before pharaoh they told him this is what the lord god of israel says let us go and and pharaoh's response is that so he retorted who is the lord why should i listen to him and let israel go i don't know the lord and i will not let israel go the plagues are answering that question in a very (laughs) kind of can almost be sarcastic but in a very specific very real way god is showing pharaoh and the egyptians and the hebrews in a very real way who he is he is and why you should do what he says God reveals himself to Pharaoh, to, to Egypt, and to, to Hebrews in this, this power encounter that happens. And this, this power encounter, the struggle really is not, see, we see it when we read the story, we tend to read it as like Pharaoh versus God. That's not a fair fight, right? That's not, that's not the fight that's really being ha- really happening here, um, the 10 plagues were in a very real way, God proving to everyone what he tried to tell them before he did any real damage. See, before the plagues happened, there's one story we should probably need to jump back and, and see that you, you'll remember um, from Sunday school days probably. Um, in chapter 7, verse 10, this is right before the plagues happen. right? The first kind of encounter that, that Moses has with Pharaoh, it, 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 we find in verse 10, says, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did what the Lord commanded him. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his, his officials, and it became a serpent. You remember this? And then, then the Pharaoh calls his own wise men and sorcerers, and these Egyptian magicians did the same thing with their magic. They threw down their staffs which also became serpents but then Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs and Pharaoh's heart, however, remained hard. He refused to listen just as the Lord had, had predicted. Now, this story, this little incident right here, God is just saying something very clear to Pharaoh, very clear to the Egyptians, and very clear to even the Hebrews that would have heard this story that we, we can miss because we don't understand kind of their, their context, their, their mythology. And I want to read a short um excerpt from an article that, that I think explains it really well um, what's really happening in this moment. Christopher Eames who's, who's a, a scholar does a, does a good job explaining it in an article he wrote in the uh, Armstrong Institute of Biblical Archaeology and he, he's going to explain to us what this, what's really going on in this story. He says, uh, in Egyptian mythology that the powerful primordial snake god Nehebaku, it's a mouthful is considered the original snake. Okay? Uh, his image was, was depicted as uh, a provocative deity on ivory rods. Worship of him was especially popular at this time in, in Egypt's history. According to these ancient Egyptian mythological accounts that they've found, um, Nabaku swallowed seven cobras which gave him power against any form of magic. So, so this Nebaku was a god that in their mythology swall- was a snake god that swallowed all these other snake gods that gave him power um, that w- against any form of magic. The Hebrew snake swallowing the Egyptian snakes in the name of the God of Israel would have been a startling display, display of supremacy. Nebaku uh, was also a central god to, to the Egyptian afterlife. Um, he, was the, he had the job to reunite the dead with their living soul. Um, So he was a a busy God, apparently. Uh, That's why it's significant that this miracle occurred before any of the ensuing fatal plagues. It it served as a warning. Um, God's action through Moses and Aaron would have also been seen as an insult to numerous other Egyptian snake deities, such as Wajet, um, the goddess Wajet, uh, depicted as a, a snake coiled around a pole. Um, this god was, goddess was worshipped by the Egyptians as the protector of lower Egypt and the region in, uh, in which the Israelites were actually living. So this, this other snake goddess was the god that they kind of said was over Goshen, which is where the Hebrews were living at that time. Um, you might have seen pictures of this uh, of her cobra symbol was worn on headdresses of pharaoh. We've seen this, right? In movies, there's always a little snake. That's 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 what that's what this th- that depicted this particular goddess. This symbolized their dominance over lower Egypt. But when sna- uh, Moses's snakes swallowed the other snakes, the message is clear. The god of Israel, not Wadjet nor pharaoh, was the su- supreme power in lower Egypt. Isn't that fascinating? This was a real life object lesson for Pharaoh and for Egypt and for the Hebrews. And this sets up very, very clearly what the plagues were really all about. It wasn't about God versus Pharaoh. It It was about God spiritually dethroning everything that claimed Godship in that area. This wasn't just a natural disaster story. To the Egyptians and to some extent, even the Hebrews, um, each thing in nature was connected to a God. Uh, there was a, 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 they kind of had the, all these, these myths and stories of, of you know, your field, your fertility, everything was connected to a God. And, and so what we see here is, and we see in the plagues, Jehovah takes out the whole pantheon like every plague takes out like he's just like laying waste to like in their minds of the people that are seeing this going on to multiple deities the the, the nile turning to blood there was gods like uh it, Happy and Isis and Kunum that were considered connected to to the Nile. There was the uh, the frogs. There was a, a goddess of birth called Haket that was was symbolized by the frog. There was um, Set, which was the god of desert storms that, that 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 was connected to the gnats. And there's just a, a long. I'm not going to read the whole list and do all the the connections here. But Set and Ra and Uchit and Hathor and Sekhmet and Nud and Osiris and and a whole bunch of other ones all were connected to each and every one of these plagues. And so what we see in this is that God is showing them exactly what he said at the very beginning. I am that I am. There is no other God like me. I have all the power. I deserve all the glory. All these other gods are nothing. Come follow me and I will lead you into freedom. And that's really the story of the New Testament. It's God leading his people into freedom and trying to help us understand how he is different than everything else that we know. And in our our closing moments, I just want to encourage you with this one thing. As encouraging as this story is, it was only a foreshadowing of the real power encounter that, that, that happened in the New Testament that would really forever make Freedom, a reality for you and me. See, there's a saying that, you know, the the New Testament is the Old Testament concealed and the Old Testament is the New Testament revealed, right? They're two sides of the same coin. And this story that we see in the Exodus is is a foreshadowing, it's an echo of what Jesus did when he comes in, in, in the form of a man and Paul, Paul says as well in Colossians chapter 2, um, if we read in, starting in verse 8, he explains this and kind of sets this up really well. He says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies or high sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world. Rather than from Christ, for Christ, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body, so you are, you are also complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not in a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, cutting away all of the sinful nature. Amen. For your body was buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted in the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your, your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. But then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. And in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authority and he shamed them publicly by this victory on the cross. Amen. 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 That verse 15, that last verse, does that sound familiar? Does that sound like a story we just read? In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authority, and he shamed them publicly in his victory over, the, over on the cross. There, there's a phrase here, this, this disarmed uh, spiritual rulers. It's a, it's a weird little term. It's called apegduomai. I've talked about this before. It's actually a military procedure. Um, when, when one uh, general would conquer another army, there was a ceremony that they would sometimes, if they really wanted to, to stick it to him, if it was a really important battle or a particular bitter battle, they would do this, this ceremony called an outpag where the general would present himself in front of the conquering general. And that general would stand up to him and one by one he would rip off, you know, they got all their things that show all the battles they won and all the territories that they, they rule and all the things. And one by one, that general would rip them off and claim them for his own. That's Paul is using that word to describe what Christ did for us on the cross. That when he died, when he rose again, when we, when he cuts away that, that sinful nature inside of us, he does this to, uh, makes a public spectacle of it. I love it. He's not shy about it. He wants everybody to know that God, Jesus takes away every right and authority that, that any spiritual thing or being Would try and claim on any one of us and takes it back for himself. We talked by we started by talking about how how there is a spiritual realm out there and we we need to stay away from it, we need to be careful. But one thing we don't have to be is afraid, because we serve a God that is infinitely larger and more powerful and has already defeated anything that we would ever come across. Amen. Why don't you if you stand with me, I just want to close with a with a, a word of prayer, an opportunity for us to just um just have a moment with, with God and, and simply uh, on, on this on, on this kind of point. That God would convince us of just this reality that we can walk in peace, we can walk in authority in our lives, we don't have to be afraid of, uh, of any spiritual uh, warfare that we would come in contact with because he has already won the war, he has already claimed the victory, that we would sit underneath that, that we would submit to, to his victory of those things. And then the other thing I want uh, I want to give us an opportunity for is for for you to, to search your own your own life and heart and there may be there may be some things that you've experienced some things that you've done in your life that as we were talking today you may recognize as as one of those one of those those kind of dark paths a path to something that was that was other than God that you were trying to access the spirit realm in some way And I'll, we'll just start start with that is and if there is if there's if you, in your past you, you maybe you you um, dabbled in in new age or one of these you know Eastern religions or got into got into to um, Ouija boards or psychics or any of that sort of stuff or any other thing as like I said any other path that you tried to access the spiritual realm without and, and God, the God of the Bible, Jesus, wasn't, wasn't a part of that, wasn't the, wasn't the, the gate you were traveling through. Um, we don't have to be afraid of it, but we do have to deal with it. And it doesn't have to be some big sensational thing. It doesn't have to be, uh, it, it's simply acknowledging it and renouncing it. That's it. It's, it's just an honest moment before God and before anyone else who's in the room, that, that any other spirit that's in the room that cares to hear it, whether they want to hear it or not, that I acknowledge that this thing, I did this thing, And this was not right. I rescind, I renounce any claim that any door that this might have opened, any claim that this might have uh, let into my life, any deception that might have come in in because of it, any, any influence that might have come in because of it. I renounce all that in Jesus' name. And Jesus, would you forgive me? And would you fill me and lead me into truth? That's it. That's it. And so we're just going to, if you want to just bow your head or whatever right now, if there's, if there's, if there's something that the Holy Spirit is bringing to your mind right now, it could be a big thing. It may be a little thing. Um, We're just going to, and if you wouldn't mind, we're just going to, let's do it this way. I'm just going to kind of do a prayer and just, if, if everybody would just pray this after me, um, uh, that would I think we can just encourage each other that way. And um, even if you don't have something specific in mind, um, I think it can be a, a, an encouragement. So um, if you would just, especially if you have something that on your heart that you, that you feel you need, to, you need to let go of, just, um, just repeat after me. Say, Father, you are the one true God. And I renounce all other gates that I have opened. You are the only way Would you shut all other influences? Would you, I I renounce all claims other than yours to every part of my soul, my heart, my mind, and my body. Jesus, I thank you that you paid for the the right and the ability and the power to claim my life and I freely give it to you. In your mighty name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We will see you next week.